Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Today's probably going to be a, a little longer than, than a few minutes. Today's topic was actually chosen by listeners who voted either on a poll in the Facebook group or by commenting on posts I made to the official uh, account over at Instagram for the podcast called Photo Taco Podcast at Photo Taco Podcast or my personal Instagram account at Harmon Jeff. The choices were these. There were five. Number one was hyper distant, hyperfocal distance. Number two, how I got the shot prom with inexpensive lighting. Number three, flash high-speed sync. Number four, Lightroom catalogs over four gigabytes. And number five, lens focus breathing. I want to thank all of you who voted. The results were focus breathing coming in last with 7% of the vote. Four gigabyte Lightroom catalogs at 8% of the vote. And I know we have to get that one. I will. If you're getting that message, it's not something to be overly concerned about. I'll explain it in detail in a future episode. But just keep using Lightroom and essentially ignore the message for now until I can explain to you what it is. Uh, Next was how I got the shot prom pictures with inexpensive flash at 20%. Then flash high-speed sync at 21%. And the winner, by quite a margin, was hyperfocal distance at 38%. So that's what the topic's going to be today. Now, if you're not a member of the Facebook group yet, I know I say it a lot on all the episodes, but you really need to consider joining it today. Going to facebook.com slash group slash photo taco. It's how I got this poll out there today, and it's a way that you can suggest topics for the show. Even when the topic isn't covered, you're really likely to get some help with whatever it is that you're, you're wanting to know more about. We have fantastic listening audience, and they are very willing to share their time and knowledge. It's a very positive community, and yes, it's Facebook. Some people really despise using Facebook, but if you do nothing else with it, with it, but join the Facebook group, I think it would really help. It's just like a you know in a, a free way to help you improve your photography and get into that community. All right, now let's get on to the topic that won the vote today, and see if I can make sense of hyperfocal distance. Now to start with, this is going to be a lot of information that I'm going to be sharing today, and it came from the seriously excellent write up on the topic by Anthony Cladera over at photopills.com. I probably did not say his name correctly, but anyway, that's right. The same group that produced the very best app for planning your landscape shoot also has a really good website with lots of helpful information. And their article called The Ultimate Photography Guide to Depth of Field is not only worth the read, there is no way I can cover all of the information in that in that post in this episode. It's going to be a little bit more condensed down to just the areas of hyperfocal distance. There are also helpful diagrams that I know I found extremely helpful to cementing my understanding. So check the link in the show notes or you can search the Goog for Photo Pills Guide to Depth of Field and it should be the first thing that comes up. So, all right, buckle up for this episode. It's going to be a long one. It may hurt your brain a little if you haven't ever heard of hyperfocal distance. But hopefully by the end, you'll get the concept, which, by the way, isn't important just for landscape photographers. It's very important, I think, for every photographer to understand. Hopefully you're listening, even if you're not a landscape photographer, because I think you'll get something out of this. Before getting into the details of hyperfocal distance, we need to talk about depth of field more generally. There is a reason the PhotoPills article has depth of field in the title and not just hyperfocal distance. You really need to have a deep understanding of depth of field. And when I teach people just starting out on photography how to use their cameras, I tell them that arguably the very most important setting is aperture. Not that you can't 
can't create a photo you want without also getting the shutter speed right. But aperture, if you need to start with one at a time, I think that's the most important one to make sure you master. Understand how aperture affects your photos. Nothing ruins a photo more than missing focus. You can do quite a lot in post-processing to make up for other technical problems with a photo, but if it isn't in focus, well, there's very little you can do to make up for that. You have to get the focus right in the type of shot that you're doing and understanding aperture as well as the various focus modes and how to control focus points on your camera is where you really have to start to understand things better to make a massive improvement in your photography. The funny thing is, I suspect many of you listening right now believe you already have a full understanding of aperture. And perhaps there are some that really do. I hear this often as I teach and as I do portfolio reviews, where after I talk with photographers, they tell me they learned something about the basics, even though they thought they had it down. Now, hopefully before the end of this episode, you'll have learned something more about getting the focus you want in your photos. For those of you that may be more at the early stages of photography, aperture settings control little blades inside your lens and the number of the setting you choose determines how big or how small a circle those blades make inside the lens. The relationship of the aperture number on your camera and the size of that circle is kind of the opposite of what you'd think and it trips people up really big at the beginning. The smaller the number aperture, the bigger that circle. It's an inverse relationship and it, it's really kind of a tough concept to get when you're first starting out. Or often photographers with that big circle, small number, the big aperture, they'll, they'll call it shooting wide open or opened up. And that's because that circle is the biggest that the lens supports. Now, the bigger the number, the smaller that circle. Remember, again, inverse relationship. Or photographers often say that you're shooting stopped down. The circle is small and it's stopped down. As I've already mentioned, the aperture also plays a significant role in the depth of field in your photo. And depth of field is nearly as scary a term as hyperfocal distance, so we're going to briefly walk through that. Look at this space currently in front of you, and I want you to imagine that there are two panes of glass in front of you that are one meter apart. There's one meter distance between them. You can move the both of them closer to you or further away from you, but they're always straight up and down or perpendicular to wherever your eyes are looking. The space in between the two panes of glass is what I'm gonna try to draw reference to as depth of field. And everything between those two panes of glass is in sharp focus, or at least acceptably sharp focus to make it so that if people looked at your photo, they would say the area in between those two panes of glass is in focus, all right? Things outside the two panes of glass, on the other hand, look blurry. With them getting progressively more blurry, the further away from the middle of the panes of glass as you get. Hopefully it's making sense. With those panes one meter apart, you can imagine you could really only fit a person inside of that, maybe two between the panes of glass, which would make the people be in focus, but the background behind them and the foreground in front of them would not be in focus. And this is what happens when you have a low number aperture, like a f-stop of 1.8 or 2.8, which again is called shooting wide open. When you change the aperture to higher numbers, like say F11, F18, or even bigger, it's like moving those panes of glass further away from each other so there's more space in between them. Like miles apart 
so that you could fit a landscape between them and get the entire scene in focus. So hopefully you're, you're imagining that. As you move the aperture control on your camera to smaller numbers, those glass panes are moving closer to each other, so there's less space in between them, meaning the depth of field is narrower. It's not as deep and there's less in focus. As you move the aperture number to be bigger, those glass panes are getting further and further apart, and where you set focus using a focus point will end up being somewhere between those two panes of glass, where the best focus is what you put the focus point on. But there's things in front and behind the focus point that will also be acceptably sharp to be as if they are in focus. All right, so with that brief background discussion on depth of field, we're ready to talk about hyperfocal distance. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode, which is Improve Photography Plus. A subscription to ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com service gives you unlimited access to everything Improve Photography has ever created, including video training, Lightroom presets, and access to many of the hosts on the Improve Photography Podcast Network. If you're getting a lot out of this episode of Photo Taco, you'll really get your photography going with Improved Photography Plus. It's only $19.95 a month to subscribe, and you can start your free trial today by heading over to improvephotographyplus.com. I want to thank Jim and Improved Photography Plus for making this episode possible. Okay, so let's give you some names to these panes of glass, because we're going to talk about that, and it will help you understand kind of the photo pill stuff anyway. The distance between your camera and that first pane of glass, the pane of glass closest to the camera, that is called the depth of field near limit. And it, it's the marker where it goes from blurry in front of that, so between your camera and that depth of field near limit is blurry. And from the depth of field near limit to the second pane of glass is gonna be an acceptably sharp focus that people would say it's in focus. It's a slow transition, it's not like it's a little hard because I'm using this pane of glass analogy, but it's not like it suddenly goes from blurry to focus in this like, you know, one millimeter range, unless you're doing macro, then it really could be one millimeter range. But if it's a, a big, normal kind of shooting scenario, not macro, then it's not like it, it does this slow transition where right from the edge of your lens is blurry and then it gets progressively sharper until you hit that depth of field near limit. And that's the point at which most people with general eyesight would say that's the point at which stuff starts to become sharp and in focus. All right. Then you have the far one also has a name and you've probably guessed what it's called. It's the depth of field far limit. <laughs> and that's the point at which everything between that depth of field near limit and the depth of field far limit that's your depth of field range, your zone where everything will be in acceptably sharp focus and anything beyond that far limit is going to start to look blurry enough that people would say it's not in focus. All right, so hopefully that makes sense. You give a name to those glass panes and we'll be kind of using and building more on that. All right, now here's where it's gonna start getting just a little more complicated. The sharpest part of that depth of field is not always in the center of that depth of field. And it's a misconception a lot of people have. It can be, but it's not necessarily that case. So that means what we're talking about here is where you put the focus point, that is supposed to be the sharpest point in your photo. That's the objective, right? Wherever you put the focus point and you, you have autofocus engage, 
that is supposed to be what is in the sharpest focus. But that also means that depth of field, depending on how deep it is, there's going to be some area of the photo in front of that focus point and some arrow behind some area behind that focus point that will also be in focus. All right. And what the, the challenging thing to understand is that doesn't always mean it's equal. There's not 50% of the depth of field in front of the focus and 50% in behind the focus point. It doesn't always work that way. And that comes into play here with hyperfocal distance. So we're going to try an example out because it may not be super clear on what I'm trying to say here. Let's say that you're doing a single person portrait. And of course, you want to get the eye nearest you to be very sharp focus. So you're going to set the focus point right on that eye. And let's say that you're using a full frame camera, an 85 millimeter lens, and you're shooting at an aperture of f8. If your model for the portrait is standing one meter in front of your camera, the depth of field will be roughly 60 centimeters. So the, the distance between the two panes of glass will be 60 centimeters. And the sharpest point in that depth of field is right dead in the middle with 30, per centimeter, 30 centimeters in front of the point being sharp and 30, 30 centimeters behind it being sharp. So this is kind of what you probably thought was happening all along. It's one of those cases where it's right dead in the middle with the person standing one meter in front of you. And that's great for portrait photography because that's a pretty narrow depth of field. You have, even at F8, you have, um, you have a very narrow depth of field there. You're going to get the background to be pretty blurry. If you don't change anything else with the camera and the lens and the settings, so still full frame camera, 85 millimeter lens and an aperture of F8. And all you do is move the person from being one, one meter away to being five meters away. So you've multiplied the distance by five of how far away from the camera they are. Then the field, the, the depth of field changes. It changes from being 60 centimeters to being 1.5 meters wide deep. That's how, how much the, the depth of field grew. It more than doubled in size because you moved the person further away from the camera, the depth of field grew and it doubled in size. It also changed so the depth of field is not centered around the point where you focused. It's not 50% of that depth of field in front and 50 behind. Remember, we had an equal amount of space before when they were one meter away, it was 50-50. But when the person moved to five meters away, the depth of field is going to change so that it's about 60 centimeters in front of your focus point and 87 centimeters behind the focus point. About 42% of the depth of field in front and 58 behind. So not a 50-50 split, 42 and 58. More of the photo behind the focus point is in focus than in front of the focus point. Let's continue the example one more step just to drive the point home. Again, if you change nothing but moving the person, same setup, you're just going to move the person further away. We're going to have them stand 10 meters away from the camera. Now the depth of field grows to be 7.4 meters deep, 12 times bigger than when the person was standing at one meter and five times bigger when they were standing at five meters. So it's not, it's not just a general rule. It's not doubling every meter or anything. It's, it's a calculation and the position of where the sharpest focus lies inside that depth of field also moves toward the front. 
where 2.5 meters in front of the focus point would be acceptably sharp and five meters behind. So it's gone to a 34-66 split, way far away from 50-50. You have a lot more that will be in focus behind the person than in front of them when they're that kind of distance away from the camera. So hopefully that's making sense. If it isn't, then go visit the PhotoPills article where there's a really good diagram that can help you or rewind a bit and listen to this again. It's a critical concept to understand in order to make sure that you can kind of make sense of hyperfocal distance and how to set things up to get the focus you want in the shot. Now you may be wondering how I got all these numbers. They're listed in the PhotoPills article, so I kind of just reused the information they had there because I thought it was a very good illustration of it. But it all just is a calculation. There's a formula that and math can be done in order to figure this out. So all the factors of sensor size, focal length, and aperture settings, you can put those into a mathematic formula and it spits out the numbers. It's going to work that way very reliably, which can be really valuable information as you're going to set up a shot. There's actually another factor involved called the circle of confusion, but we don't have time to go into that in this episode. Let's just pretend that that piece doesn't matter for now, and maybe at some point along the way, I'll do a photo taco episode on circle of confusion. Fortunately, you don't have to worry about putting the numbers into the formula yourself. You're not going to have to get out a pen and paper and try to remember your math teaching <laughs> education and try to figure out how to do the numbers. There's lots of ways to do this. There are plenty of guides out there, tables containing the information, or even easier, the PhotoPills app on your smartphone. The timing of this episode is really good because for quite a while now, PhotoPills was really only available on iOS but it recently came out for Android, and I can't recommend the app highly enough to help you not only with landscape, but all types of photography. And I think as you understand hyperfocal distance, you'll get that. You'll understand why this can help with more than just landscape photography. There are areas in the app to do this very technical math for you then. It really simplifies the process because all you have to do is put in the information that you're gonna have readily available. You're gonna plug in focal length, an aperture and sensor, and it spits out the numbers. So it's really super simple. They also, if for any reason you can't get the app, they also do offer exactly the same calculators to figure these things out for free at their website, photopills.com slash calculators. So plural calculators and depth of field and hyperfocal distance are just, uh, you know, one of those calculators. There's others. Now, all right, we have the background to get out to what should be a simple statement about what hyperfocal distance is. You have an understanding of aperture, you have an understanding of depth of field and how aperture plays a role. Now remember how we had our person move from one meter to five meters to 10 meters, and that not only did the depth of field grow to be 12 times bigger when we went from one meter to 10 meters, but we also had where the focus point was going to lie inside of that depth of field changed position from being 50-50. And we ended up with a lot more focus behind the focus point than we did in front. And that continues. It continues in a way to where it is possible with every type of aperture setting. So even f 2.8, 1.8, 1.4, 1.2, 1 1.0, whatever aperture, whatever wide open aperture you want to use, it is technically possible to get the depth of field to go from the focus point out to infinity, where there is no end to things being in focus beyond your focus point. 
the photo will be acceptably sharp from the focus point all the way out to mountains or stars in the background when you focus at the hyperfocal distance or a little past it. Just like the depth of field can be calculated, the hyperfocus distance can also be calculated. And the PhotoPills app will tell you what that is. Now, I know if I were listening, I still would probably not really be able to be making sense of this. So I'm going to use the PhotoPills app and I want to give you a specific example and walk through kind of some, some really specific settings so you can try to make this more concrete as an example. All right, let's say I'm shooting a landscape scene with my Canon 7D Mark II and I really was shooting landscape. I want everything to be in focus. We don't want it to be out of focus at all. It has a crop sensor, so that's part of the formula. I'm using, I'm going to use my Rokinon 14 millimeter prime lens. It means it doesn't zoom in and out. That's what prime means. And it has a wide open aperture max of 2.8. So I can set it at 2.8. Now you right there, you might be thinking, why would you open up the aperture that much if you want to get the entire landscape in focus? Wouldn't you want to stop down the aperture to something like F8, F11 or higher? And you're absolutely right. That will help you to make sure that you get the entire scene in focus. But there are reasons, many reasons to want to do that. There's diffraction that you, you'll have to deal with as you get into the really high numbered or stopped down apertures. But there could be scene reasons too. If you're doing astrophotography, you got to get as much light as you can into the, the shot. And f2.8 is probably actually not even as good as you'd hope. You wish you could go 1.8, 1.4, 1.2 or, or better. And there could be uh, wind blowing. You might have trees and grasses that are blowing around. And if it's a little bit too little light, you, you want to be able to shutter, get your shutter speed up. You might need to open up the aperture to let in more light. But let's just continue with the example. It's a good way to kind of illustrate the point uh, because it goes against your expectation. You wouldn't think going into it, a lot of landscape photographers would not think that you can get the entire scene in focus at f2.8. That just sounds ridiculous. But so let's plug in the form, the, the information. I used the PhotoPills app and I plugged it all in. And it gives me gives you some good information that tells you kind of different story than you might expect. So 70 Mark II, 14 millimeter focal length aperture f 2.8. And the PhotoPills app tells me the hyperfocal distance for those settings is 3.66 meters or about 12 feet. And since I'm an American, I'm going to talk through 12 feet. So I can find a landscape feature that's a little more than 12 feet in front of me. All right. And if I focus on that, or I'm going to make sure just to make sure I nail it, I want to focus a little past that. If you focus right at the hyperfocal distance and beyond, you're going to get an infinite depth of field. But if you miss it, and it's just by a little, you don't have to be much in front of it. But if you if you are in front of that hyperfocal distance on your focus point, then the depth of field is going to shrink up just like you would have expected. You're going to, not going to have an infinite depth of field and it's going to be a very shallow depth of field. And it, it just is a massive difference between those two things. So you can't miss. You've got to make sure you get your focus point deep enough into the scene that you are at least past the hyperfocal distance. And so understanding exactly what that is, I'd probably go just, you know, 13 feet would make sure that would give me lots of room, making sure I nailed it. And if I can set my focus point 13 feet out from the front of my camera, if I can find a landscape item that I want to be there, then even at F 2.8, I will get from there from like 13 feet out all the way to infinities to mountains or stars in the background 
will be in acceptably sharp focus. Doesn't mean it's gonna be as sharp a focus as you're gonna get at your focus point, but acceptably sharp to where people would say the whole scene from that point on is in focus. All right, so I hope that kind of makes sense. The PhotoPills app also tells you how far in front of that focus point will be in focus. Because just because you put your focus point at the 12 feet, that doesn't mean it starts there. Remember, we, we had this conversation about how the focus point, there's still an area in front and behind. We already know behind is going to be infinite. So there's no end to the depth of field behind the focus point. But there's also going to be a little in front that will still be in focus. And it turns out with those specific settings, it's about 1.83 meters or 6 feet. So I will have six feet in front of my focus point in focus and out to infinity, but I got to set the focus point at 12 feet to get that or 13 feet to get that. All right. So that there's one example and one way that you could think it even at F 2.8, I can get all of that amount of the scene in focus if I know and use the hyperfocal distance. From there, you can play a what if game to decide what you want to do. You, you have this tool to help you decide how to adjust to your conditions. Adjust based on like where the landmarks are at that you want to make sure are in focus, on how much light that you've got to deal with, on how much wind you've got to deal with. It's just a way to try to make it so that you can figure out what do you want to do at the moment when you're out in the field. It's a really great tool to have in your arsenal so that you can try to figure out how to adapt to your set your environment. All right, so we're going to say we have enough light that we can change the aperture from 2.8. We're going to stop all the way down to F8. And the hyperfocal distance point with everything else the same, then all you did is change the aperture. It moves from the 3.66 meters or 12 feet we had before to 1.3 meters or a little over four feet in front of the camera. So you got quite a bit more. And the near limit on the in front of your focal point where things are going to be acceptably sharp well that's that's moved all the way so that it's only 0.65 meters about two feet out from there so so you get a huge amount of the scene in focus because we changed the aperture to f8 we can make sure we focus at a little over four feet in front of us and we'll we'll be hitting the hyperfocal distance so you probably want to go five feet just to be safe and i know that from there from two feet in front of that point and all the way out to infinity is going to be in acceptably sharp focus. All right, now let's change another parameter. Let's change the focal length to 24 millimeters on that crop sensor with an aperture of F8. The hyperfocal distance changes to 3.81 meters with a near limit of 1.91 meters. So it, it just is, it really made it so that it uh, you have to focus a lot further out in the field because I went to 24 millimeters and F8. Uh, change the crop sensor to full frame, the focal length at 14 millimeters and F8. The hyperfocal distance is only gonna be 0.83 meters or nearly three feet instead of two feet out. And, uh, and so it just, all those factors make a big difference in how you're doing it. And it's so valuable to have that information, especially when you're out there in the field to have the PhotoPills app and dial in the information so you can get the numbers. That'll help you just, it gives you an advantage that you know what you can do to uh, adapt to your environment. Not only will the PhotoPills app on your phone give you the numbers, but it has this really cool feature where it will kind of do this virtual reality in front of the scene where it, when you look down after you've calibrated it, when you look straight down at your feet, it kind of shows your feet. And as you slowly move your, your, cam, your phone up, you, it starts to show you rings 
about where the different distance points are out in the field. So you can get a, a rough idea. It may not be perfect, but at least a pretty good idea about where you need to set your focus point. In fact, there's a really good video out on the PhotoPills website that kind of gives you some instruction on how to use this. They're in an astrophotography situation. They're trying to make sure that they're, they're hitting a little bit past the hyperfocal distance point so that they can get good, sharp, infinite focus. And so what they do is they they figure out that they plug in all the numbers, they figure out the distance, then they use the virtual reality to have a person go and stand just beyond the, the ring in the virtual reality on, that shows in the scene of where the hypo, hyperfocal distance point is. And then they use their own phone to kind of add light to their face so that you can set the focus point on their face and they set it and now you have your camera set then you switch it off so that you know it's manual focus whatever you want to do to make so you don't refocus the camera and now from that point on they can start doing some astro shots and know that they're going to have the most in focus that they can get from the the closest point where possible just beyond the hyperfocal distance out to the stars will be in acceptably sharp focus. Really powerful tool to have there. Okay, so before wrapping up the show, I wanted to bring up one more thing, focus stacking. Another really common way to avoid this problem where you you have this depth of field and you wanna make sure that you get all the landscape elements in the scene in focus, well, one solution to that could be you're just going to take multiple exposures of the scene where you're going to set the focus point directly on the various layers of the scene. And depending on your aperture and depending on your, your focal length and your sensor size, you know, you're going to have to do various forms of that. It depends. All those, those factors play a role into how many places you're going to have to do that. And that that may end up being a solution for you as well. I know a lot of photographers will do that. They don't worry about this hyperfocal distance. They just go out there, they shoot at f8, f11, maybe f18 even, and they'll take at least two, one of the foreground, one of the background for the, for the focusing, maybe even three kind of go front, middle, back. And then in post, they'll go put all those together. They'll use Photoshop and they'll kind of merge and blend those together. That's focus stacking. Photoshop will even kind of try to automate it for you. There's a way to make it automate focus stacking. There's other tools that are very specific to focus stacking. It's a good option. It's a really powerful tool and can make you, it can do things that you can't do with hyperfocal distance. We're not talking about it in detail. So I'm not gonna go into the, the details there. I just wanted to say that yes, that is another solution, but there are times when, fo when focus stacking won't work. And I've met, I've seen it lots of times, especially in my astrophotography. And that's because the wind and stuff moving around. When you have low lighting, those tree elements, the, the branches, the grasses, they blow around. And yeah, you can, you can try to freeze them in one frame where you will have them in a specific spot. But then when you change your focus and you move to a different spot and the tree branches or grasses move and you take the next one, you're not going to end up with every element of that landscape being in focus, being something you can even merge together. And it becomes really super challenging to do that. So in a situation like that, hyperfocal distance is a better option to get the shot when there's low light, high wind, and you're trying to photograph things that can move around really easily. Does that make sense? Hopefully, hopefully it does. If you want to kind of learn more about focus stacking, 
I already did the ad for improvephotographyplus.com, but this is a really good way to learn it. Nick Page has a, a tutorial, video tutorial out at improvephotographyplus.com with advanced landscape techniques. He goes through focus stacking in particular as well as some astro. It's really, really good stuff. Pano to how to do panos. So uh, check that out if you are interested in learning more about that. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it and I hope you understand hyperfocal distance give it a try. Go out and use it. Use the PhotoPills app. Go out there and, and, and try it out. For me, I learn much better by doing than by hearing or even seeing. And so, uh, so that's what really kind of glued it all together to me. I went out there with the PhotoPills app and I tried a whole lot of shooting and I, I finally understood what hyperfocal distance is and I've been able to leverage it and it's really made a difference in my photography. Oh, before I close up, I did want to mention this it's not just for landscapes right it also can be for portraits and i i have had several situations where i was trying to get the portraits so that i would blur the background in fact there was one situation in particular where the client wanted to create a fun photo they wanted to have one where they had some fairly young kids kind of grouped together i think there were five kids in the photo and they wanted them kind of sitting on this dock and then they wanted the parents to be behind the kids kissing and have the parents be out of focus, draw attention to the kids by having them be in sharp focus and have the kids pretend to be thoroughly disgusted, which wasn't too hard. As soon as we told them their parents were kissing in the background, they all naturally had put on these disgusted faces. And that was, that was the setup they wanted. That's what we were trying to do. And this was pretty early on as I was doing portraits. I had no concept for hyperfocal distance. I knew the concepts for aperture and controlling depth of field, but I could not make it happen. I tried all kinds of different things trying to do it. I, I had the aperture as low as I could get it, which was 3.5, which, and that only happened. I was using a kit lens, so I was constrained to 18 millimeters and trying to get them and the parents in the photo it just was really tough and I couldn't figure out what to do. I ended up kind of faking it in post-processing. I added a, a blur and did gradient filter uh, mask on the blur and it, it worked. It made it so that we kind of got the effect they were hoping for, but I couldn't figure out what to do on the field. And the problem was I was at the hyperfocal distance. So everything was, was in acceptably sharp focus. And had I known that, had I been armed with that, this would have helped me with my portraiture work because I could have made sure that those kids were in front of the hyperfocal distance so that the parents would have ended up being blurred out. All right, so there's a good reason to understand this for other types of photography than just landscape. And that was the point. Okay, now that is really the end of this episode. That's really what I wanted to share. All right. Uh, if, again, if you haven't joined the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash phototaco, really good way to be able to interact with the show, offer suggestions for topics. You can also do that by messaging at phototaco podcast on Instagram or the email address where it is phototaco podcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated. If I don't know the answer to the question, I'll either research it or bring on an expert guest to the show. And don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. We have Portrait Session, Tripod, Improved Photography, and the brand new one, It's uh, I think we're on the fourth episode as I record this episode, uh, Latitude is the name of that one. One T in both places, L-A-T-I-T-U-D-E. Also take some time to head over to the mothership at improvephotography.com for news, gear, and other photo tip articles. It is the best way to improve your photography. Photo 
views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!